This is Justice Matters with Tim Buxton, coming to you from Yugambe country of the Commonberry people of the Gold Coast, Australia. I'm your host, Tim, where my sole aim is to share conversations I get to have with inspiring people doing remarkable work to create a world where we all belong. This podcast is brought to you by the Just Travel Company. Experience wonder and unearth justice and discover the just way to travel today. Visit just-travel.co. Without further ado, here's our guest for this episode of Justice Matters. Hey there, Luke. Welcome to the Justice Matters podcast, uh, friend. It is great to be chatting with you on this bright early morning for me and what late afternoon for you over in Atlanta. Yeah, grateful to be here, Tim. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, well, there's lots to kind of uh, dig into today because I think you and I are going to have a hard time keeping things onto one particular topic because <laughs> I think we both have the habit of having a million things happening at once. And uh, uh, from the very first time we met uh, in uh, Clarkston, a, a, a suburb town part of Atlanta, Georgia, the United States, I think from that first meeting that we got to to hang out and chat before a, a bit of a, a collective group gathering, um, I knew would be... Uh, uh, spending a lot more time chatting and conniving up ways to serve refugees around the world. So, uh, look, really looking forward to our chat today. Um, for our audience, if you could do us a, a really big favor, um, instead of me kind of trying to introduce a bit about what you do currently um, at Tecton, um, which is the company nonprofit that you founded, um, give us a bit of an overview of that and maybe some of the many different offshoots of what's happening at the minute yeah um gosh it's been almost 10 years uh, my wife and i mallory launched um launched originally it was called the lantern project and we were primarily funded uh through a one private company um through a construction engineering company i was working for at the time and um, we're just incredibly honored and, and grateful, uh, privileged, I should say, to be able to kind of work within this for-profit construction company within the industry, and then also simultaneously working for the Founders uh, Foundation. So he was a very successful, very generous individual. And part of my job as a 22, 23 year old right out of school was basically to figure, help him figure out how to leverage his foundation to have a bigger, uh, 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 a greater impact, um, kind of a greater multiplier on the dollar that he was spending, you know, mm. for any, any number of, of nonprofits. And so, um, that's easier said than done, as I know, you know, and, and, uh, so we spent, gosh, probably at least a year and a half kind of in research asking a lot of questions. Um, I was actually living in Abilene, Texas, which is West Texas at the time. Um, not really wanting to be there anymore and wanting to come back to Atlanta. And um, I, having grown up just outside of Clarkston, I knew of Clarkston, which uh, Times Magazine called the most diverse square mile in America. Um, and I, I had done short-term mission trips there for years. And so I knew about it. 
And I, and I only really knew of one organization that was kind of doing anything specifically around upward mobility, job placement and whatnot. And they were primarily doing um, work around purses. Um, they, were, hmm. they were getting donated textiles, training women how to uh, uh, fix sewing machines, first of all, bring, them in, bring those sewing machines into their home, and then training them how to make these kind of high-end purses. And so it was obviously, obviously very focused on kind of the women, the, the women, um, which this is a, it was a perfect company. It's called piece of thread. If you want to look them up or Google them. Um, and anyways, coming from the construction industry, it was kind of this thought around, well, who's thinking about upward mobility for kind of more so the men, um, knowing that a lot of them, and it might be the same, I guess, in Australia, they end up getting stuck in very dead end jobs. Um, the, our, our actual placement rates, and they call it self-sustainability in, in, the, in the state of Georgia, is very high. Something like 85% of resettled refugees are self-sufficient within a couple of years. Um, but self-sufficiency doesn't mean thriving. It just means they're making right. enough to kind of get by. And so it was kind of this idea of like, how can we uh, take an industry like construction where for every, I believe the numbers have gone up, but back back. 10 years ago for every five journeymen, so skilled laborers that are leaving the workforce, we only had one entering the workforce. So, oh, wow. so we're in kind of in this weird trend, at least in the US, where demand is the same, if not growing, because of you know we need more and more construction laborers, um, but the supply is going down, which means wages are going up and and they can continue to, to demand more over the years. And so it was kind of this perfect storm of where if we could train somebody in things like welding and electrical and carpentry, um, they're going to get a job and they're going to get mm. a really, really good paying job that I would actually argue is more of a career than a job. And um, that's been the case. Um, so, yeah, we started about 10 years ago, focused primarily on construction. And we've had 500 plus graduates in 10 years. Um, 99% uh, placement rate within companies, meaning everybody that wanted a job got a job. Wow. Um, average increase in wages is something like 36%. Um, uh, sorry, 136%. So they're more than doubling their income usually when they graduate. And then success stories where guys are now, you know, uh, foremen making six figures on job sites. We've got a couple of foremen actually. Uh, we've got certified electricians. So again, I don't know the way in the in Australia, but yeah. in the U.S., when you become when you when you uh, become an electrician, you know you can start to demand a higher wage. Mm -hmm. And so we've got a couple of, a couple of those and and welders and guys that are just making spectacular income. I remember when we first met, you're like, mate, I've got these. Well, you didn't say mate. That's what I would say. You said, <laughs> I hope I, I said mate. I don't know. You, I, you, I don't know. Maybe you said. Dude, there's these guys that are earning way more than me. And I'm like, I started Tecton and here they are yeah. graduating. And isn't that it's so fun? And you kind of alluded to something too. Um, you kind of glazed over it where you just said, look, I see this as more a career than a job. And language is important we hear all the time like oh we've just got to give people jobs you know it's like 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 we were born to just have a job and right. not born to do work or to do creative work or to have a career or have something to aspire to and 
And, you know, for so long, I mean, for every, you know, carpenter or cabinet maker, electrician or welder out there, I mean, there's no need to look down on choosing that career path. Um, and we're seeing now here in Australia, probably the same as in the US, this demand imagine, for, yeah. for trades because, you know, they're, they're so needed. Yet they're, they're also like incredibly creative um, people, you know, that, yeah. that turn some piece of wood into some beautiful baluster, you know, that, that goes into a home and, and um, I've seen firsthand Tecton's facilities and, and the classroom that you have. And then you walk out and there you've got, you know, these, these mock job kind of sites for an electrician and for a, a, a builder, um, for, for carpentry. Um, and I've seen, I've seen uh, the guys you've got leading the work, which are all former refugees. It's just, um, it's an incredible success story. Um, and I know, you know, over those 10 years, it's had its ups and downs and moments of like, is this going to is this going to make it? Um, yeah. yeah. And that's, I guess, that's what it takes to be someone like you, Luke, which is very entrepreneurial, very willing to take risks, very willing to kind of be audacious in your dreams and hopes to, to make this world a better place. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit more about what you do and what Tectonic uh, Tecton is doing and the different kind of projects you've got going, but where did it all begin for you? Like what made you so passionate about wanting to kind of, um, you know, make such a difference in this, in this way? I mean, it's not, not everyone kind of uh, grows up what you know wanting to start a non-profit wanting to um be so passionate i guess about a demographic that in in large part are very much overlooked and in some ways maligned and and labeled as as you know in very i would say nefarious ways so can you give us yeah give us the 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 story of of luke your upbringing and why why you would you, you'd launch into this kind of work yeah, so I think I said, but I, I, I grew up outside of Clarkston, um, just 15 minutes north of Clarkston um, in the suburbs and in a, in a fairly diverse community. Um, you know, I know I remember when I was in high school, my freshman year, I, and I don't, I don't quote me on this, but my freshman year, we were probably like 85%, you know, Caucasian. By my senior year, you know, three, four years or so, I would say we were very quickly the minority and in the coolest way, you know, we went from a, a very not so diverse school, you know, kind of in the suburbs of Atlanta to, uh, to a very diverse school. And I think it's because of the proximity, you know, Atlanta is a very diverse, very international uh, city. Mm. And, um, and so anyways, the church I grew up at, instead of taking, I mean, we, we did go on mission trips um, like any good evangelical would, I guess. Um, they started to 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 take us to Clarkston, which is really fun. You know, I was I was like thirty minutes or so from the church I grew up in, and and so I just I just remember like you know instead of instead of jumping on a plane having to go see the world, we could truly see the world in our in our our backyard, and um and that 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 impacted me. You know, my my father um you know ran a clinic for years. 
And then I would travel, you know, to all, all over the world with him. You know, we'd go to Peru and Haiti and wow. um, Ecuador. And and I just fell in love with uh, other cultures. I, I fell in love with their hospitality. Um, you know, we say, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, Tim, but we say Southern hospitality. Yeah, yeah. Which, yeah, which is totally familiar. a facade. It's kind of this like, hey, come over for dinner. But that's like almost like saying, how are you now? You know, I don't actually care how you are and I don't really actually want you over for dinner, but I'm just going to say it because that's what you're supposed to do. That's Southern hospitality. Whereas if you go, if you go, oh man, isn't that sad? I mean, that, that oh, really is the case. Oh man. Well, yeah. I but, mean, but you've been in people's homes from other countries and yeah. The the level of hospitality is unmatched. Even if I know there's really good Southern people out there who actually well, maybe it's it. just the 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 migrants, immigrants, refugees, those from culturally diverse, diverse uh, you know, parts of the world uh, that are reviving that Southern hospitality in your uh, in your yeah, neighborhood. Totally. So it's, so maybe you can still lay claim to it. You just you know, it's just it's just coming from a different demographic. <laughs> Oh, absolutely, man. And there's nothing like it. I mean, I've never been so full in my life to see them slab <laughs> on another, you know, giant oh, yeah. thing of lamb and rice and, and, you know, you name it. I mean, just the meals I've had with my refugee and immigrant friends are just, it's just, it's unbelievable. And absolutely. anyways, and that just affects you over time. And I, I just, I just fell in love with, um, you know, having these conversations, very intimate conversations about faith and about life. And um, so anyways, fast forward, I go to college while I'm, while I'm studying in school. Um, I was I was trying to contemplate what I wanted to do. I, I, I've kind of always had an entrepreneurial event. Um, I bought stuff off of eBay, resold it to my friends for profit when I was in high school. I, <laughs> I sold knives when I was in high school. You know, I was your typical entrepreneur, just just wheeling and dealing. Sold Beanie Babies at one point when I was like, oh my goodness, elementary school, you know. And uh, and so when I got this to college, I was going to a uh, private Christian school, but I actually went to play football, um, American football, that is, not the not the real football. Um, well, that's a that's a tough word, like football in the world sense. Yeah, the World Cup's on right now. They call yeah. that football, but in yeah. Australia, there's literally like. F- four different kinds of football. So you really do have to like clarify what football right. is. So for, for the American audiences out there, Aussies would understand this right off the bat, but you've got Australian rules football, which is my preference. Um, hence why I said it first, Aussie rules football. Um, then there's rugby, which is rugby league, which is uh, football. Uh, we most people call football or footy here. Okay. Then there's rugby union, which uh, is another form of rugby, and then obviously American football. We would call gridiron, believe it or not. Gridiron. Okay, yeah. so I, I played gridiron. There you go. In, here in we college. go. For all the Aussies out there. For all the Aussies. You play gridiron. What position? Uh, I don't look it now, but I I at one point was like two fifty pounds. Um, which I don't know that in kilos, but I, I was like a fullback defensive end. Um, I okay. ended up playing defensive ends. That's where I was for a couple of years. And then I got wow. injured, uh, started a, a business in college, uh, doing pressure washing and staining of golf courses in my university. And I ended up hiring uh, a number of guys um, who were all Spanish speakers. Uh, I was my minor in school. 
which I, I loved. I could just practice my Spanish with them and hear their stories. They were all immigrants with, you know, really, really tough, tough backgrounds. So I think that's maybe where I started is to like relationally um, mm. really start to develop this like sense of, well, I can see with my hands what work does. You know, I'm seeing them send money back to their families and I'm seeing them wow. be able, you know, to, to thrive and to do, and to, to be able to take care of themselves. And, um, and so I, I think uh, it was a combination of all those things, but I, I remember I was kind of on the verge of, do I go business or do I go, you know, like theology, you know, do I, do I get a, uh, MDiv, you know, or do I just go business? Do you become a priest, priest and or- change the world through, through, through that sense, or do you make a heck of a lot of money and create lots of jobs? And that was the predicament that I felt like deep, deep down. I just kind of was the sense of like, man, am I, am I going to lose my soul if I go the business route or do I have to go all in? Like maybe it's not being a a pastor, but you know, do I just become a nonprofit leader and just devote my life to being a nonprofit and you know, like being a life. Of why poverty. do we just get, why do we get thrown these, these ultimatums, right? Like who says there has to be an ultimatum? So well, and I think, but I think that was, that was, that was the false narrative that I was under. And then it was my freshman year of college. And I heard someone introduce the idea of, of uh, social entrepreneurship mm. and this idea of how can, how can business be leveraged in a way that, on, you know, you usually hear like a triple bottom line or quadruple bottom line. You know, it's generally it's like, okay, uh, go ahead. Triple bottom line, define that. What's a triple bottom line and what's a quadruple bottom line for, yeah, so, for so me hear, and for everybody else. Yes. Yeah, so you'll hear like, um, you know, faith, usually like how does it affect the kingdom? Like that might be more of a faith kind of perspective. Faith based approach. Yeah. Um, you might hear uh, generally it's like, uh, uh, how does it affect the community? So how does the, the business that I've, the, the good, the service that I'm producing, not just make money, but how does it actually solving real world problems? Yeah. Have uh, a positive the, social impact. So yeah, some sort of social impact. Uh, the third one might be um, your, um, um, blinking on the term, but like your, your environmental impact. Yeah. Um, kind of your green impact, if you will. Um and I can't even think of the, the first the profit. One. It's got to make money, right? Yeah. So that's no? your bottom. Yeah, your bottom line, right? Is your profit? Is it profitable? Because obviously, yeah. you can do all the sustainable. Other things. Is it sustainable? Is it growing? Yeah. Is it is it returning money to your investors, your mm-hmm. stakeholders? And I, I just I fell in love with that concept. And obviously, you know, at that point, we were we only had like two examples. It was like Tom shoes and, uh, and yeah, like, and how that go? Tom shoes. Yeah, I mean, but arguably, and I've heard people talk about. Uh, I can't think of his name right now, but um, I've I've heard them talk about him in a negative way, but I've also heard him interviewed where he said, we did a lot of wrong things because we were so early on. So we just looked at it as, you know, how does giving shoes, how how are giving shoes away going to hurt anybody? When in reality, it was killing the economies in some of these these countries because these, these shoe producers were just getting just demolished. The challenge here, right, is... Yeah, I, I love the fact that you pointed that out because that you know that's on me for kind of automatically pointing out the negative in in Tom's shoes, which we all know with every good intention was meant to try 
and lead the way in bringing positive social impact and change. Sure. A, a friend of mine, he uh, he's on our a board of directors for You Belong in the USA, and he he's an inventor. He, uh, I mean, he's just one of the smartest guys you'll ever know. In fact, I tried to, I think, connect you with him, Jeremy. Jeremy Dawkins and and you know as an inventor with a team of designers that that are looking to solve problems uh, so most of these problems are around you know social impact having uh, creating more inclusive society and products um, and and the irony is though in his which he kind of shared with me is that you know for every invention for every positive thing you create you're always inevitably going to be be creating down the line oh yeah a problem another right. problem yeah. to fix that's yeah. just unforeseen and no matter how much beta testing no matter how much trialing no matter what right. you do and so um i guess it's i guess that's where it's so important to um constantly which i see in you have this positive drive right like okay we screwed up this didn't work out we made a mistake we took a risk it failed did it fail it it didn't go as to plan and right. how on earth are we really going to know how everything's going to go to plan i think we're coming to terms with the fact that we just we there's just so much unknown in life and the future um but if our intentions are are good if our heart is good and if we're willing to learn from our mistakes yep. we can take those learnings and and keep pushing the needle forward and making making the changes we all know we want to see in the world so yep. you're doing that yep. uh you started it with tecton you started with trades um you started it because you were passionate um you get, had this desire as a, as a young guy to be like wow i'm working for this company they give me this opportunity yeah um I think that's very cool because uh, I'm seeing a lot of kids graduating school and they're wanting to, they're kind of almost being pushed into a kind of conveyor belt form of, of this is what it is. This is what you need to do. You need to get your degree. You need to choose your major. You need to blah, blah, blah. And you're kind of bucking the trend to say, Hey, what, what, what is it that you really kind of uh, love doing? Try a million different things like you did selling knives and, and ripping off your friends for a good reason. Um, um, what would you say to young kids out there that have kind of like, you know, they've got that gnawing inside of them to kind of do it. Um, uh, um, yeah. What would you kind of like, let's speak to those folk out there right yeah. now. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I actually, and, have and these... actually stop me. Yeah. Stop. Sorry to interrupt. Again, not just young people. These could be people that are retired sure. and they're like, sure. you know what? I want to actually, you know, I'm sick and tired of like wasting the rest of my lives. I want to make a difference. What would you say to, to anybody out there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I'm going to, I'll say three things. Um, and two of them are contradictory. So take that, take that for what it's worth. Um, I have these conversations often. Um, the first one I would say is you have no better time than to, to, get your hands dirty, fail often and fail fast when you have zero to maybe a little bit of responsibility in your life. It's much more difficult for you and I right. just to decide that we're going to start a whatever business tomorrow and not pay ourselves for two years and to just hit get hit in the chin over and over and over. It's really tough when you have kids and you have spouses and you have mortgages and all the responsibility. If I was 
right out of school, whether that's high school or college, I, I mean, you fail often, you fail fast because if right. you really look at a lot of these founders and I don't mean, I don't mean just the profitable, super successful founders. I mean, the ones that have made impact, it's taken sometimes decades right. uh, before they got it right. Right. It's just like fail, 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 fail. Okay. Maybe we figured a little something out here. Let's kind of lean into that. And then it's like years and years of trial and error there to finally get their, get, get the, their place right. So I, I'll say that first of all, the contradiction though, is that I, I also do think that there are a lot of people that need to gain meaningful experience first prior to just saying, I'm going all in on the entrepreneurial train. Um, there are things that I learned by jumping in and taking a job out of school, working mm. for somebody else who was a seasoned entrepreneur that I never would have, good and bad, that I never would have been able to fully understand. I mean, it probably would have gotten to a point down my entrepreneurial journey where I'm, I would have learned some of those things. Mm. Um, but I think the timing was perfect to where I needed to work for somebody else for a period of time. Um, so I think it's just more of weighing the situation you're in, you know, do, can you risk it? Do you have little responsibility where you can go and try and fail and, you know, maybe get a side hustle, you know, sure. ge generally a lot of the more successful entrepreneurs that I know, you know, their, their, their endeavor that succeeded was a side hustle for a period of time. Mm. And so they got a job, they, you know, not just a job, you know, do something that's going to gain you meaningful experience that maybe corresponds to, you know, your, your, your desire, your dream, your, your mm. the company or the organization that you want to start. Um, yeah, those are, those are kind of my, my two contradicting ones. Um, I had a third one and I'm blanking on it right now. But well, dude, uh, okay. So some, the first one is, is just, there's no better time when you're, when you're young and you don't have responsibility. And you could almost apply that to people that, you know, you know, the grandparents out there, right. That are retiring. There's probably still no better time, right. They're, yeah. they're, right. they've, their responsibilities are a little less. They can hand back the kids whenever they want. And they, you know, back to the, um, the parents after they're full of candy and chocolate and everything <laughs> they shouldn't have. And, you know, uh, but, um, so there's no better time. Secondly, it means, uh, it, it's important to gain experience. Yeah. Am I saying this? It's important to, yeah. to learn under somebody else that's probably taken the risk and, and making some, you know, creating the system so that you can observe and watch and learn, Hey, this how this is how the real world works. This is mm -hmm. where things are at. And you can, you can kind of like take all of that information and, and then apply that to your own, uh, side hustle, probably that you're, yeah, you're en yeah. ending up going to have to take on. And then number three. Yes. So, so I should also say I'm just getting over COVID and COVID brain's a real thing, man. So like it takes me a minute. My wheels start turning. I, I can get back there. Um, That's right. Well, because you brought it up and I think that it's interesting there. I can give I can give actual examples of people who maybe would have said they're retiring or they're they are retired and you know, they're, they're going to choose just to do something that's easy and that just somehow through a series of events kind of landed in starting something 
difficult that have made significant impact, the impact that yeah. they probably never would have imagined they started having in their late 60s or 70s. Um, so for example, Refuge Coffee, uh, Kitty yeah. Murray launched Refuge and I, I'm, she's a friend. If she watches this, I'm not even going to start to guess your age because that would be super rude to me. Um, but I would say she probably was on the tail end of thinking like her career was, was, was probably within the next decade mm. or so of retirement. And she decided to launch refuge coffee, which if you're watching this, Google it, it's, it's incredible. It's a phenomenal, really, really neat organization. They're growing the impact, um, the way they've been able to communicate the story of the refugee in ways I don't think we'll ever be able to do because a cup of coffee it's super easy to translate into any languages. Mm. It's a warm cup. is It's the same in Spanish. It's the same in French. And they're just going to be able to continue to grow exponentially and, and be able to continue to tell that refugee story. You know, so Kitty is a really great example. Another good example for you, um, if you want to look up Intertwined can Candle Company, if you Google Intertwined, I-N-T-E-R-W-I-N-E-D, uh, candle company. Um, in fact, it was these two women from my old church. I was speaking at an event and somebody asked this exact same question. If, if you, um, and I was probably only a couple years into starting Tecton at that point, they said, if you, if you give any advice for somebody who has all the time and the energy and, you know, the experience to be able to start something to help the community, what would it be? And I, I said the same thing then that I'd say now, and that's, start really cool, innovative companies that could help provide jobs for these men and women. And, and what they, they said, okay, well, what would you start? And I said, well, my family and I have been kind of playing with this idea of, of recycling wine bottles into candles. So, you know, cut off the top of the wine bottle, pour the wax in, put the wick in. We've been, we were doing it for fun. I mean, it was just like one of those things we get bored. We just create some candles great Christmas gifts, whatever. So I gave them the idea and I was, I kind of helped them get off the ground a little bit. They were just very, they just grinded it and asked me a bunch of questions. And sure enough, man, these two women both retired husbands, you know, retired as well. Kids out of college started intertwined candle company. And I mean, I don't know the impact they're having, but I would guess they probably are employing a, at least 10, 15 people. And they're at which every is major huge. holiday event, which is great. I mean, it's huge. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, you're never too late. Find the impact. Refugees, immigrants, they just need a chance. They need good, they yeah. need opportunities. They need connections that you have. I mean, it's probably the same in Australia that is in the US. You know, it's, it's not about what you know. It's about who you know. Right. And you, oh, yeah. if you are in your 60s, 70s plus, you know a lot of people, you've been around the block or two, and you can make connections and help our immigrant and refugee friends in ways that probably Tim and I could never do. This episode is brought to you by The Just Travel Company, your socially responsible travel concierge. Just Travel is the best kept secret in culturally immersive and justice-oriented adventures. Allow Just Travel to take the hassle out of your next trip and experience wonder and unearth justice. Discover the just way to travel today. Simply head on over to just-travel.co to learn more and book your next adventure. Like our flagship Israel Istanbul trip launching out in mid-July 2023. Oh yeah. 
Oh man, I I, I feel like the there's so many ideas out there and there's so many people that have their the passion that they'll just put everything behind it and uh you know if you find what you really love to do like you will always find a way to do it <laughs> um, oh, yeah. it's like if yeah. you love surfing you're always going to find a way you wake up at 4 a.m in the morning even if you have to be at work by six to yep. get in the water and surf or uh you, you know you're just gonna like you're gonna you know, ignore um, those weekend kids' birthday parties that you have to attend to. <laughs> you're, uh, gonna, you're gonna skip out on something, yeah. Or you're gonna something. you're gonna make a way, right? And that's yeah. just that's just human nature, and and um, you know, and I think when you could tie that to something that you know is not only good for you, um, but is good for others and your community, and good for your environment, um, then it's then it's bound, I think, to to succeed and have a positive impact. So absolutely, agree. Um, awesome, awesome tips there, man, and and insights, I guess, from your own learnings and experience. Like you really, um, I admire you and look up to you as uh, as an entrepreneur. I've I'm a wannabe entrepreneur. I just don't have the the business experience and the nows to kind of um to to be on your league um is there is there anything else you've kind of learned in business or what are some of the you know what are some of the kind of um things that that come to mind when it's like um you know sneak peek into the life of of luke what's it like to to be in your world what are the what are the pitfalls of business what are the challenges that you have you know you have to avoid because because business can be quite demanding of your your time entrepreneurship can be demanding of your yeah. your time all the time right like right, there's right. never a switch off moment so so yeah um well i'll say first of all tim i think we're all in some capacity want to be entrepreneurs um I heard someone tell me once, a serial entrepreneur is just, just an entrepreneur who's learned how to fail a lot. <laughs> you know, just fail, start over, fail, start over. And that I don't actually know if I want to be a serial entrepreneur. I, I would rather be somebody who's able to create lasting kind of generational wealth for the people around me, for my refugee friends that, that continues rather than create something that just like blows up and then dies out and blows up and dies out. Right. Um, I, I guess I would say to answer your question, I, I where I've seen so I, I started a uh, after we started Tecton, we started a, a for profit staffing company um, back in like 2016 and ran that for a number of years, and that grew and that employed thousands and thousands of refugees across about six cities five cities at one point, no, six cities. Um, and it was, it was very successful. It was a lot of fun. I learned so fast. I mean, talk about the experience, you know, I, don't, I really kind of back to your, your, one of your first questions, like starting a business is going to force you to gain the experience you need to succeed. And I, you know, like talk about being a wannabe, like I was faking it till I made it. I was just, acting like I knew what was going on until I figured out in some capacity what was going on. Um, but it was, it was so much fun and I had a great team around me and, you know, I, I don't, I don't think there's a better 
to your point, I don't know if there's a better way to live life. If you got to make money in some capacity, why not make money doing things that are actually making an impact? Um, mm. And that you're getting to spend time around people that you love. I mean, most of our even administrative staff that I'm, I was spending most of my time around were refugees, which was so much fun um, from all around the world, Afghanistan, uh, Ethiopia, um, Malaysia, Nepal. Um, um, and it, you know, it was just so much fun. And, and but I will say that I, I think if I had to, with everything else I'm working on at the, at the moment and where I, yeah. where I envision kind of some of the, some of the ways I'd like to see things go. Um, we were never able to give ownership to, to our team and, um, generational wealth does not com come from a nine to five. It just doesn't. Um, I've never seen anyone be able to, to work a nine to five and, you know, turn around and be able to, to help their, their grandkids and their, and their great, great grandkids, you know, seek education. And, you know, it's, it's just really tough. I think that's, I think that's, that's a place where now having been in the tech world for a while, which is kind of what I stepped into in the last number of years. Mm. And I have seen ownership. I've seen, you know, companies that offered equity and ownership and, and, you know, not only does it drive everybody to the same goal, like let's all work really hard so we can grow this thing and sell it or, you know, an IPO, whatever it might be. I've been part mm. of an IPO now and I've seen where guys, men and women who join these companies early on were able to see generational wealth by just being a sales guy because they were able to, to, to take on ownership. And when that company had an IPO, you know, they made millions and pot millions of dollars. And so that's what I hope for. I hope for what, what I'm working on now. The next things I'm working on is being able to actually give those that are like putting in the work, um, you know, some sort of equity ownership. Um, because that's, again, that's where you see, where you see generational wealth and you see people be able to, to do, um, incredible things, you know, money, money solves a lot of issues, not everything, but it solves a lot of issues. And I, and I think that that's one of the things that's lacking. Um, you know, like there's a lot of organizations in Clarkson doing really, really good things. There's a lot of companies employing a lot of refugees mm. and yet not a single one of them is ever going to give a, a decimal point of ownership, any sort of equity ownership in any of those endeavors, because that's, it's just not the way it works. You know, you, you, you have some of these companies that are like, you know, do ESOPs, employee stock option purchases and whatnot. It's just very rare, especially in the manufacturing world. Um, so what I hope for is I hope for as we begin to build scalable, uh, kind of the next generation of Tecton was building ref code. So we absorbed yeah. a, a software engineering kind of training um, path. So we do, we do the kind of intro to software engineering. We do some kind of earn and learn type of stuff. Yeah. Um, but we're actually launching a software agency where our goal is that we're going to raise a lot of money, um, train a lot of men and women, not just in Clarkston, but globally because it's super scalable. You know, as long as you have a laptop, you can be talking to your friend in Australia oh, yeah. now, right? Like, there you go. I mean, you can, you can do it anywhere in the world. Our friend Elon Musk just put up Starlink. I mean, I could be talking to somebody in the other side of the globe. And, and not only can we provide the training with that internet, we can also help them get jobs and they can get software engineering jobs, which we know there are a plethora of 
Uh, 8 million will go unfilled by the end of this year. 8 million software engineering jobs. Those are all six-figure jobs. And how many, how many refugee friends are sitting in a refugee camp twiddling their thumbs, thinking mm. about what's next in my life? You know, how can I learn a valuable skill? How can I get a job? How can yeah. I learn English? Man, everything like that can be done through a computer. It's at their fingertips. And I want to go back to what you said about ownership. Because I'd, I'd, let's get into Tekton, Kiki Art, some of the other fun stuff that you, you're on to. But with ownership, man, I was just sitting here listening and you know when you listen and something just starts to stir up in your gut and you're like, oh my God, this is like, you're kind of touching on something that there's a lot of people that are going to not like hearing this oh, because, yeah. they, because they have the the upper hand um but i guess in this line of work yeah. um in justice work it's about it's about the scale is like this and it's about making right. the scale back like this and did you notice that one can't go up without the other, the other coming down. down totally and totally. and yeah. when and when systems are set up when capitalism with all of its benefits uh, to making things grow and opportunities and all these things, though, has somehow an element of it. Um, and and there's all forms of capitalism. I'm not kind of making a blanket political statement sure. here, but when yeah. there's forms of things which actually say, you know what, as long as you know how to get the ownership of something, you can have a heck of a lot of other people working their butts off for you. And just because you were smart enough with the lawyer or, or or maybe, you know, you took the upfront risk and fair right. enough, you've got, you know, there there's a there's a good enough reason, but when for you to be, you know, like lay claim to 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 a significant amount of the, the profits and the revenue. Right. But when you're looking at how do I give the same opportunity for somebody else to get a taste of how it is to create ownership, because the value Money, you talked about money, like money solves issues. Well, what is money? I mean, for me, it's like money is just value. It's right. my time right? times by my my talent, right. whatever I'm using during that time that I am – um, that I'm working. And if it's like driving an Uber driving car and just driving a car and that's what the talent I have in my hands. Yeah. Um, and however long I sit in that car driving people around is, is the, is what I, what I get. And, and this demand, you know, these market forces of demand can push up, you know, how much I can and can't charge for it. But at the end of the day, it's just, it, it money is, a representation of value. And when yeah. you have an inherent worth with every single individual of untapped resource and value, and you have a desire to see, say, a refugee. Sorry, I'm going on a rant here. But uh, <laughs> and when I say a refugee, I don't mean mean like in that in any form of negative sense. I mean, this is just someone who's lost everything for no fault of their own. Yep. Um, they're a way maker. They found themselves to where they are. They're incredibly resilient, smart creative, integrous people, and you see them with untapped potential and and therefore the ability to, hey, look, if you just knew that you actually could create ownership in what you're doing and actually own that which you have, um, that is, I believe, the next step. You yeah. highlighted it. I think you pushing into it with some of your new initiatives is highlighting the significant next step for, for justice 
uh, to be seen in our communities and for this world to be a better place for yeah. everyone, to be honest. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. we've got to, you got to, we got to break up these monopolies of power and control um, that kind of bottleneck at the top. We, we, we see it politically destroying countries and starting wars. We see it in businesses, creating yep. practices that, that there, that are, are, damaging to society and to the planet. Um, have you I ever mean, heard the, have you heard the statistic um, that they, they did a study a number of years ago and it was like, it was talking about happiness and money. And it was like, there's a negative, like there's a positive up until, and it's not what you'd think it's in the U S and like American you know, dollars. It's something like $80,000. Right. Like it like peaks up at $80,000 in terms of like your happiness, you know, happiness like index. Yeah. Your happiness index. And then it exponentially starts to go back down as it continues to rise. And I, that always fascinated me because as an entrepreneur, you know, generally we're, we're focused on the bottom line. We're focused on value and, and wealth and wealth creation. And, and I'm, I'm going to drop some names. Maybe they'll listen to this one day and that's fine. I don't mind pissing people off. People need to be pissed off more often. Um, <laughs> but like, for example, MailChimp, probably a lot of your listeners have listened to mail. I've, I've used MailChimp services. I yes, use MailChimp we services. use MailChimp. Yeah. Okay, so I'm about guys, to unsubscribe from this. I'm sure. <laughs> no, 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 you shouldn't. I mean, it's, good, it's good software, but you know those guys just those guys just sold their company for 13 billion dollars to Intuit, and oh, yeah. they owned 100 percent of the company. And my co-founder with with my company, the founder of Refcode, um, our oh yeah, Brent, you know, Brent Strine, he was with Mailchimp for a, a decade. And, and there was a lot of people around him also member, you know, have, were, were part of, of MailChimp for, for years upon years of their life. And that's what you're trading, right? You're trading years of your life for dollars. And I don't think we equate that very often. And that trade of years of his life for dollars, you know, his bonus at the end of the, the whole thing was not anything close to to what you would imagine. I mean, it was, it was, well, the guy's a genius off. for goodness sake. He built, he's smarter than probably the founders 10 times oh, over. I mean, he built the yeah. company for them. Yeah. And yet like when they sold the company for $13 billion and like, I, I can't tell you how much he made, but it, it was nowhere close to that. It wasn't even close to decimal points on that. And it's wow. like, do you really need $13 billion? Like, is that going Maybe they're going to be generous. Maybe they're going to give a lot of it oh, yeah. away. But are you really going to be that much happier? Um, I'd argue that the impact and the amount of happiness and joy and life change, generational wealth that you could have brought to the developers and to the guys who are sweeping the, the, the floors and making the coffee and whatever, that would have been a much bigger impact had they have done some sort of like equity ownership, you know, transfer or something, but that's just my tangent. <laughs> no, I mean, oh man, my mind's racing because, whew, um, yeah, I mean, I was, oh, so I was refugees. going, so for refugees, yeah. you know, like you think about the, the type of jobs that a lot of them are earning up at, you know, it's, it's companies that are desperate for people now more than ever. You know, your chicken factories, so they're doing the dirtiest of jobs you can imagine. I mean, the people even we're placing, you know, my, my staffing company, we're placing them into manufacturing jobs or uh, placing them into hospitality jobs. And 
you know, the, the longevity of somebody, because the, the goal of an employer most of the time is how do I get as much as I possibly can out of somebody and pay them as least amount as possible. That's really awful, but that is, that is the equation that an employer is looking at when they're looking at an employee. And if, if people started to look at that different and how can I be more generous, how can I, how can I give them a greater upside, you know, meaning like, how can I put, maybe I'm only paying them an hourly wage, but what if beyond the hourly wage, I was saying, I want you to partake in our growth and our profitability. So here's a vested equity schedule over a period of time. And I don't care what job it is. I think if these, you know, like Tyson Foods, for example, owned by the Tyson family, if they wanted to start seeing exponential change in their overhead and mm. the problems they're having with talent, they would they would equate one percent of that multi billion dollar company to the people who are doing the, the dirtiest least jobs on that entire chain, and they would see change. I really believe that they would see people who are doing very tough jobs who, but at the end of the year, get some sort of dis, you know distribution or disbursement and. Yeah, that's where I would personally like to see businesses. That's kind of getting back to social entrepreneurship. You know, it's Mm. not just paying somebody a wage. You know, there's a lot of people paying a lot of people wages that are unfair, that are, you know, they're they're taking advantage of people. They're um, we haven't even we haven't even started to talk about the history of slave labor. Right. And what's actually going into the products that we buy every day, the shirts and the yep. fashion industry, which I have, a, I have a friend that's got an incredible um, denim and now, you know, branched out to other kind of clothing line um, company that is employing those that are from, you know, a former exploitative industries and yeah. um, not only employing them, but educating them and providing them with training on how to, you know, um, you know, uh, manage their finances and, and, and really, yeah. I mean, so many, yeah. so many positive impacts um, for, for, for companies. And, and it kind of leads me into, you know, some of the cool new initiatives that you've started, because when you, you can apply this to anything you're passionate about, it can right. be making surfboards. It can be, um, it can be like a podcast for goodness sake, or, yep. or like you've got ref code, which you touched on. You've got kicky art, which is happening. Um, and God knows how many other things that are stirring around in your brain. <laughs> um, like, like drop, you know, give us the, you know, like the, one minute version of, of each of those things that you got going on. And, um, and then we can obviously in the show notes point people where they can learn more about it, but, uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you kind of two examples of what we're doing internally with Tecton and then kind of the newer fun project that's outside of Tecton, um, inside and outside of Tecton, I should say. Um, so we, historically have have tr- provided the training and the mentorship for the, the students, you know, welding, uh, facilities, maintenance, carpentry, um, HVAC, plumbing, you name it. And then we've, we've placed them in jobs. So it's either through, mm. you know, staffing agencies, generally it's the relationships that we've had with employers. And yet it's, it's never really solved 
um, the equation of how do we continue to function as an organization, you know, they generally don't, they don't like to look at us as a staffing company. So they're not, they're not very quick to turn around and pay us for the people because this is expensive training. You know, we're, we're providing right. upwards of five to $15,000 in value per person in training. Not to mention, you know, when they actually come out and they're and they're they're working for these companies, the impact, the financial impact that they're seeing immediately. And so um, we've kind of started looking at this like, well, we need to be more protective of our trainees. And if we had uh, the ability to employ the trainees, we'd have a longer impact with each of them one on one. So we'd be able to start doing things like more soft skill training. We'd be able to give them more time with mentors. Hmm. We'd be able to sit down and, and really figure out, you know, do you want to do facilities maintenance your, your entire career or do you want to be an entrepreneur or whatever it might be? And so this has been on my mind since day one, we just never really were able to kind of kick it in a year until I stepped back in as executive director in January. Um, and we had a, uh, an individual who came to us who has been in, in the industry for a long time. And so we're actually launching uh, over the next couple of months, we're launching a couple businesses under Tecton's kind of umbrella. Um, one is the Atlanta door company. So we're going to be training people specifically how to make, how to do, custom door, like the actual prefabrication in our warehouse, mm. and then the installation. And that sounds really silly. Like why, why doors of all things? Well, because we can control a lot when you're only really hyper-focused on something like that. Yeah. Control, yeah. you know, this, the types of training we're doing, we can control the supply, you know, this, the, the materials needed to do so. Uh, those type of niche marketing kind of endeavors are actually really, really needed. Um, Oftentimes the company, the people that do end up doing doors are not like very like door focused, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's the first one we're launching. The second I one love is, it. yeah, we'll be launching at some point kind of soon after that. We'll probably start really small. It'll probably be um, the guy who's going to step in as kind of our, our general manager and kind of co-founder on this stuff. Sure. Um, he's What's gonna, his name? Uh, his name is Justin. Justin. Okay. Justin Max. Yep. I never got to meet Justin on it. No, this is all new, man. This is all, this is all brand new, like the last three months. Um, and then the next one we'll be launching is a handyman business because I don't know how the way it is in Australia, but handyman work is if you can find somebody you can rely on, then you're also having to rely on their word for kind of the the, the, the price you pay. Like it, It's just a really tough business to get into. Is very kind of unethical in some ways. And so, hmm. but it's also very broad because a handyman by definition is somebody who can do just about anything that you need somebody who's handy to do on a home. That could be a little electrical, a little HVAC, yeah. a little plumbing, uh, a little carpentry. Um, and so basically we're launching a handyman service under our umbrella. Um, and that way we can, we can retain our talent, pay them really well. And we'll probably actually kick these out as for profits so that we can give the guys vested equity in these businesses. Ownership. Well. Yeah. No. Look, I mean, my mind's already racing. Like imagine being able to go to like a a rental platform um, company and say, hey, look, instead of like listing 20 different, you know, 
you know, services that, that, that your renters can access when something goes wrong. And then, you know, each of those vendors, the electrical guy charges an exorbitant rate for their exceptional expertise in being an electrician right. when the job of like, you know, like maybe it's just rewiring something that, you know, a, a skilled handyman that's got enough knowledge in that yeah. can do probably yeah. charge a lot less, save everyone a little bit, a bit of money. And, um, and then, you know, you're not waiting 50, 50 days for that electrician to finally come out to do their job because their yeah. demand is so high. Oh, demand's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I mean, that's the beautiful thing of the, your setup. How do people see your setup? Um, Tecton, can they like, apart from, I think I sent up, uh, put up a few photos when I visited on my Instagram, but like, so like is there our, our website? I mean, it, there's not, they're not going to see too much of kind of these businesses we're launching yet. We're somewhat keeping it hush hush until we like officially launch. Uh, sure. I, it's not a big deal that I'm Dude, on a podcast I mean, all my, <laughs> all my 5 million subscribers are, are going to get a, a sneak peek, um, you know, head start as to what's going on. I hope, I hope you don't mind. I love it, man. I love it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, and then the agency side. So on the software side, you know, we're, we, we started piloting, like building really basic software, kind of using low code or no code type of, of software development software. Um, yeah. and, and we, the team has been crazy successful. I mean, we've got, we've, we've done like four contracts, and I saw them build an MVP for a startup. Um, they need this. The startup lost the software they built that they were going to show their investors. Small, it could just, it, I don't know what happened to it. It went away, it disappeared, it got erased. And they needed, they needed to build something to show their investors in like 24 hours, maybe 12 hours. I think it's 12 hour notice. Oh, gosh. Our, our guys built an MVP for this pretty cool technology startup in 12, in three or four hours. And, we made like two grand off of it. And so there's not many, there's not many people that could pull that off. Number one, number two, that would be affordable or have the time to be able to, to, you know, to even accomplish that. And so that's something we're kind of doubling down on as well is, you know, we, we see there, there there's also a hole in the marketplace here because you have uh, senior software engineers, um, which is what's what Brenton uh, was and is, who are making you know multiple six <laughs> figures, and then you have you know kind of your mid-level software engineers, and there's there's a massive hole. Britain always talks about in your entry level, kind of the, how do you get your foot in the door? Well, you have to have the experience, right. but to get the experience, you have to have had a career in software engineering or like had dabbled in it, building mm. your own thing or whatever, and so. Basically, the agency will provide them that two to three year experience window building real world software for clients mm -hmm. and they're getting paid. So we're going we're gonna to get them paid really well to build software, to build their resume uh, over the next three years with the goal of, I hope we see 100% churn every three years where people are leaving us to go get six figure jobs at Google and Microsoft and all the big guys. Um, so and hopefully there's some the, new big guys out there too as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and one of those is so, so we, we kind of in that process, we said, well, let's start throwing ideas against the wall because we can always start our own software company, you know, that we could build software for with our students and right. see if we can raise the money and the, you know, the capital needed. And so, 
Um, long story short, my other startup is called Kiki. Um, yes, it's let's quickly talk about anymore. that. It's uh, Kiki.com. So we own the, the .com for it now. But, oh, man. Nice. Yeah, so it's K-I-C-K-Y.com. And uh, it's basically art, fine art as a subscription is kind of the basic premise. Um, we're, we're only generally working uh, 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 B2C right now. So we're working with companies who are renting art as a subscription by, you know, by us with our artists that we have. And so artists get, are getting paid residual income, you know, while that art is on display. Um, we're kind of coining this term like a distributed, decentralized citywide art gallery. So I'm sure it's the same way in Australia. If you go, if you're trying to buy art through a gallery, you're going to a art gallery in a usually more upper class area. Yeah. And it's, you're specifically going to the gallery to buy the art. Well, the problem is, is the art, art galleries in general are very exclusive. They take a majority of the cut, the commission, when the, when the art does sell. And the artists are not getting paid residuals while the art is sitting in the gallery. So, mm. But you go to coffee shops or you'll go to restaurants and you'll see art hanging on the walls. And so that was kind of the premise. And so I kind of asked the question, are people willing to pay for art like we do for music now? No one buys an album no one buys a cd you know apple's itunes you know 99 i do cent. buy vinyls now by the way well that's classic man you're you're a classy man so that makes i'm sense. not i've only got like four vinyls and i'm like realizing um you know this is gonna rob me of my <laughs> like, minimal investments that i have right I keep right. buying Finals. Hey, yes, keep going. Hey, there's there'll be exponential value. Those are those are investments. Um, but we all get we all get music through Spotify, right? I mean, yeah. music is free, and but we pay subscriptions now. Like that is the premise of music. Yeah. That's the movies are the same way. I mean, we have Rent the Runway now. So why not subscription for? Are we going to be rent renting NFTs soon? I, I'm not, I won't even get into that world. Um, <laughs> yeah, we do, we do we'll NFTs, save that, but it's, we'll it's, save that for another podcast. That's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. Um, no, but we, so it's physical fine art. We do all the logistics. So we do the delivery, the install, you know, it's all white glove, very professional. Uh, and most of our clients are hospitality tech companies. Um, we're actually about to launch a pilot with the Delta Sky Club. Um, so if you imagine the experience for a member of a sky club, you know, you walk into a sky club and you see art everywhere. Generally, you can't participate. You can't, you can't learn more about the artist. You can't, um, buy the art. Um, and so basically we just simply doing a QR code actually allow you to interact with the piece. So you can watch a video of the artists talk about their inspiration for the piece. You can see the value oh, of the piece. Luke. You can buy it. You this can buy it at that moment, and then, or you can choose to rent it next. So eventually, we'll actually open up the door for for people to to then turn around and be the next. We call it host. Um, but the goal is that the piece sells eventually. But the really cool part is our algorithms we've built dynamically set the value. So meaning that, like, let's say the artist starts off at a thousand bucks, because of the amount of interactions that the art is having while it's in that restaurant or in that sky club. Or so how many times lobby. someone's scanned the QR code, for example, or. Yep. So you like start that. to see the value increase over time. And actually through our technology, the artist act still retains value. 
So, uh, and that's actually where we kind of use NFTs a little bit. It's more like a certificate of authenticity, but the value forever lives, um, five, uh, 3% of the value forever lives, um, attached to the artist. So anytime the art sells, so let's just say an artist's career takes off right now, if any of their original pieces sell, they're going to, they're going to make zero ownership in them. And they're the only art. The only type of artists, you know, your actors, your musicians, your mm. a lot of other artists make royalties from their art, but most fine artists, there's not a way to make anything residual ongoing, you know, yeah, on a you know secondary art market. And so we're we're basically providing um, the element, kind of the the vehicle to make that happen as well. Um, and it's built so 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 our our MVP that we built to get into a accelerator. Yeah. Um, now we're now in a second accelerator. We're in the middle of raising our seed round. We're raising about a million dollars to really see this kind of exponentially grow. Um, uh, that all of that was built by uh, students from RefCode, and so we were wow. able to pay them, give them a, a good hourly wage, give them the experience they need, kind of the gainful experience. Um, we have actually a whole team that's doing kind of QA, so quality assurance kind of work, fixing bugs all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's the goal. Dude. The goal is how can we, how can we grow this hire software engineers from the program, pay them, you know, the quarter million dollar software engineers make. And uh, yeah. Well, I mean, the cool thing is anybody listening to this is like, that's just, these are ideas that are like the brainchild of, of Luke, of you, your friends, you people in your world. How many ideas are there out there? How many p possibilities are there out there? They're, they're endless. And I endless. think once the principles that we talked about earlier are kind of baked into what we're doing here, like, like this is not about just how can I make a crap load of money? It's, it's baked into, you know, that triple bottom line or, or whatever it is that, that ability to be like, how is this doing good? For not only for myself, you know, but for my community, yep. for my planet, um, and and I think, uh, you know, there's so many other, you know, like how is this creating a world where we all belong and we all thrive, right? Where everybody, um, if you're willing to put the work in, if you're willing to, you know, to 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 fail, to learn from from your mistakes um yep. and there's a lot of people out there that just um they get trod on when they fall down and they get pinned down when they fall down and and that's just that for me again it's just not acceptable and i, I love the fact that there's there's people like yourself out there um not just kind of activists trying to like raise awareness but actually like getting getting down and dirty with brick and mortar, creating businesses, creating opportunities and, um, and bringing in the most incredible people into that journey. Yeah. Our Waymakers. Luke, um, I think we're running out of time. I hear Eden at the background kind of yep. Yep. letting you know that, that she needs something. <laughs> um, and, uh, dude, I'm so, so excited for you. All the things that are going on. Every time I get away, um, from chatting with you, I feel somewhat encouraged because 
I know um, in between our chats, there's been lots of ups and downs on both our sides. And yet you always got a smile. You always got a new idea. You always got something going on. And um, it's, it's, it's really fun to, to check in with you, Luke. And hopefully um, maybe we'll get Brenton on, on as well. And he can kind of delve in a bit about some of the, the exciting things he's working on with ref code. Uh, I think that's something that we, we've got to get on, on one of the podcasts here, but. Thanks Absolutely. for your time, Luke. Absolutely. And we got we got to have the conversation about Australia and Turkey and Yes. I mean, we got to make it happen. We're going we're going to that's that's the next iteration of Ref Code is when we start to have a number of your 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 people on uh on the on the training program. Yeah, so. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, so for those listening, uh Luke and I we've been chatting a bit about um how we can join forces. Um we met at, at Refuge Coffee at Kitty Murray's place there and um, really connected, resonated, as I said earlier. But, um, you know, we want to see what you're doing, Luke. Um, we want to champion it. Um, there's places and parts of the world where you and I are both passionate about, whether it be Turkey, where there's 4 million Syrian refugees right now that are are starting to feel the pressure of, of living in a, a country that once accepted them quite generously and is now turning against them for various political reasons. There's an increase in, in, in people fleeing Turkey to try and get to Europe because of the, the, um, the targeted um, propaganda that's uh, working against them. They're being scapegoated. Um, And again, what it costs us to try and invest in, in the U S and Australia to get things started. You, you don't even need a fraction of that to empower right, um, exactly. those in, That's- in Africa, those in, in the middle East, in Asia. Um, again, we've, we've got the people on the ground that are, 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 are have the same heart, the same vision. So Luke, yeah. we're going to make it happen. Um, at the right time, there's no pressure, but uh, we'll make it happen. And and I think anybody listening or watching, watch this space because uh, there's going to be some great, great opportunities for you you listening to get involved, maybe serve, volunteer in in Tecton, in RefCode, in and maybe overseas as well. So how can people get involved? How can they give? How can they invest? If there's business people listening into what you're doing, exciting, how can they? Uh, where do they go if they want to to learn more? Yeah, so um, they can go to Tecton. It's tectontraining.org and, um, or email me, Luke What's at your email? Tecton, T-E-K-T-O-N training.org. That's, that's our, the nonprofit email. Um, or go to Kiki. Go to kiki.com, K-S-E-K-Y.com or Luke at kiki.com. You can email me there. Um, would ha- be happy to to talk about investment, talk about expansion, talk about how Tim and I can can uh, bring laptops all across the world and provide software engineering to the masses. Absolutely, because um, we're we're fired up to do it. We just need y'all's partnership. So, come on, let's do this. Hey, um, Luke, love you, mate. You're an hey, absolute you too, champ, and um, you have yourself a good evening. And a lovely dinner with your family, and we'll we'll talk again soon. Thanks, brother. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode of Justice Matters with Tim Buxton. It is an immense privilege to share these conversations and inspiring people with you. 
to learn more about how you can get involved or learn more about today's guest, head on over to the show notes or episode description. This podcast was produced by the master himself, Jose Biotto, with just a little bit of help from me. The featured music is the song Turning Over Tables by The Brilliance. Lastly, to my Patreon community out there, thank you so much for your support and generosity. Without you, this podcast would not be possible. If you'd like to become a Patreon and get exclusive access to behind-the-scenes content, visit patreon.com forward slash justice matters and start your give what you can monthly contribution today and join me and so many others in creating a world where everyone belongs until next time thank you for subscribing and sharing this podcast with your friends justice matters with tim buxton acknowledges and pays respect to the past present and future traditional custodians and elders of this nation now known as australia and the continuation of cultural, spiritual and educational practices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples.